morning. Right, we are going to continue our 1 Peter series. We're in the penultimate message, um, so just one more after this. Uh, so we're going to be in chapter 5. If you've got a Bible with you, it'll probably help you to turn there, uh, but the words will be on the screens as well. So I'm just going to kick us straight off by reading um, 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 1. So I, this is Peter talking, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We, uh, we saw last week in the previous section that John was taking us through, 1 Peter, that Peter was telling the church that he was writing to that a fiery trial was coming. That's the language he used. That a time was coming when they would face uh, opposition and challenge beyond what, that they were, beyond what they were already facing. And if that's the case, and he's saying to them, are you ready? And he's starting to give them some instruction for how they would live, how they would go about facing that challenge that's coming, I think I would expect him to say, stand firm. Come on, it's going to be really hard. You've got to stand firm. You've got to hold on. You've got to make sure that this challenge that's coming does not knock you over. And he does actually move on to say that in the last section that Duncan's going to look at next week. But before he does, he seems really keen to talk to them about humility, almost as though he's more interested in their hearts than their actions. And he says to them, so there's some comments addressed to different groups of people, which we'll come back to in a bit, but he says to them, verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on. So it's an analogy, I guess, of getting dressed in the morning, which is, I'm sure, something we can all relate to, because looking at you, it appears that you all got dressed this morning, which I am pleased about. Um, <laughs> But we can, we can relate. We can imagine what it's like to get dressed. We do it every day. And you put your clothes on. There's things that you have to remember to pick up. You know, you remember to put your watch on, perhaps. Maybe you remember to pick up your wallet or your keys. You remember to put your glasses on, otherwise you can't see anything. You, know, you remember to pick some stuff up before you leave the house. Because you need to. It's just the stuff that you need with you to go on about your day. Peter is saying, put your watch on, yeah, sure. But put on humility. Make sure you take that with you before you leave the house. Which is sort of a strange comment, because to me, humility sounds like a kind of a, a feeling or an emotion maybe, or just a way that people are. Not, not something that you pick up and put on, or I suppose to, to think of what Peter means with his analogy, it, it's something that you choose. You choose in the morning to leave the house, having said, I, I'm going to be humble you choose as you're getting dressed. You think, I put my watch on, and today I'm not going to consider my rights. Today I, I'm going to put others first. Today I'm going to show deference even when I don't have to. 
Today, I'm going to listen before speaking. Today, I'm going to choose to be dependent on God. I am going to choose to give God my fear, to give God my worry. I am going to choose to accept who I am and the role that God has given me within his family. It's a choice. I think we can hear humility and often think of something completely different, either a sort of, I suppose, humiliation, kind of self-degrading, oh, woe is me, I'm a terrible person, I couldn't possibly do anything right, a kind of refusal to accept praise. We can hear that and maybe think that that's what humility is. Or hear humility and think it's kind of being nice and polite. But it's neither of those things. To be humble is to say that without God, I cannot. Without God, I cannot. But if God, I can. Now, I cannot do this without him. Now, if he does not do something, there is no way I can do something. But if God acts, if God comes to me, if God is with me, then I definitely can. That's humility. And we can hear that, or I can hear that. I'm speaking for all of you, I'm just talking about myself, really. But I can hear that and think that I'm doing that when I'm doing something slightly different. I can say, oh, with, with God I can. And actually what I mean is, I can. And I sort of, I'm aware that I can, it somehow sounds wrong, and it's not the Christian way of putting it, so it just turns into that my language in my head is, oh, it, it, with God I can. And yet all I'm doing is I'm slapping some words in the front, I still mean I can. Almost as though, well, with God I can, because God's kind of my, like, Jesus is my helper, isn't he? He just sort of comes alongside and he, he helps me do stuff, but I can do it. And that's completely the wrong way of thinking about it. He's not the one that follows me, I'm the one that follows him. So it's not, oh, yeah, 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 I can. It's if God moves, then of course I can, because he has. But if he doesn't, I can't. You see, Jesus is the one who chose to, to come and to humble himself, I guess. He chose to serve us. He did not have to, but he chose to come and, to come and make a way for us. He chose to come and live amongst a people that had no interest in him, no regard for him, and rescue us, if we're those that follow him, choose to join us to him. He chose to do that, despite, I suppose, not needing to. His choice to do that, his choice to come and serve us, that's humility. So a lot of this passage that I read seems to be about elders, um, which, you, or I suppose you could maybe translate it pastors as well. They're, they're the people who, who shepherd or pastor or father the church. Um, I am not going to talk about that lot today. I'm going to draw some insights out of it, but largely because... I could do sort of an hour of material from these couple of verses that would be super relevant to six people in the church, of which one of which is me. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. But there are actually some principles that we can draw out of this that are really helpful for all of us. Um, but just to make a couple of very brief comments, the church is in this fiery trial. And the first thing that Peter says is, so let's make sure your elders are doing it right. Let's make sure that they are pastoring and shepherding in a humble way. That your fathers are fathering in a humble way. 
What are elders for? I think to summarize it very briefly, the teaching of the Bible, so they're for three things. They offer doctrine, discipline, and death. It's a cheery list. Um, so doctrine, kind of what, what do we believe? The elders are the ones who are supposed to defend the church and what it believes from attacks from the inside and the outside. Discipline, if you think of a stereotypical family, you know, the father is the one where there's a line. And you don't cross the line. If you do, he will help you to not cross the line again. And again, that is, that is part of the role of elders within the church. And death, elders are the ones who are called to die first. Now, it's not actually that likely in our culture in the next couple of decades that we will face this, but this is the sort of situation that, one, that Peter was writing to, the church he was writing to. When we agreed to be elders, we were signing up that we would be the first to die when they come for the church. Now, that's an easy thing to say in a culture where that's not that likely to happen. But yeah, that is, that is, that is the role, that we would make sure that when they come for the church to persecute and kill us, we'll be the first to go. And so he says to them and to all of us, put on humility. Choose in a morning to put others before yourself. Choose to regard others' rights before yours. Choose to live your life in a way which puts someone else before you. you now, would you leave the house without your trousers on or whatever you wear on the bottom? Well, you might like to in this heat, but it's still not, not really socially acceptable. The same thing. Would you leave the house without putting on humility? Well, actually, I would all the time, but I shouldn't. It says, put it on. Put it on. Be like Jesus, the humble one, the one who chose to put others before himself, the one who chose to lay down his rights, the one who chose to say, I'm going to do this for someone else. So, are you proud? Is that how you think of yourself? I mean, probably not. Lots of you will be aware the Bible is not particularly, does not see pride as a particularly good thing um, and generally encourages us not to be proud. You might have noticed some of that in this passage. We'll come back to in a minute. But I think a lot of us think, and I often think, that we're quite good at not being proud, at being sort of humble-ish, at least. I often think I am. And we live in such an independent, individualistic culture that... We think we're being good at it, and we're, we're really not. We're, we are not very good at it at all. Think of it this way. Do you, ever, do you feel self-sufficient? Can you fix problems on your own? Do you feel that you don't need God, even if you might want him? I've definitely been there. That sense of, oh, of course I want Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Why would I not want him? But I can actually fix my problems on my own. I don't need him. Do you find that it's hard to ask for help? Do you find it's hard to admit weakness? Do you find it's hard to let go of fear? Hard to give up your worries? Do you find yourself boasting in your capability? That's pride. That's not all that pride is, but that's, that's pride. And Peter says we should be humble. Now, I think one of the keys to unlocking some of what he's saying here is to know a little bit about Peter himself. He was a very proud man. Let me show you. So in Mark chapter 14, this is Jesus. He's talking to some of his disciples um, at the end of the last meal that they've shared together, uh, shortly before Jesus died. And it says um, in verse 27, And Jesus said to them, 
you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So he's kind of predicting the future, telling them what's going to happen, saying they're all going to fall away, and then giving them a hint as to where they can find him when they want to come back again. Um, And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. So Peter is saying, yeah, I'm sure they will. But come on, Jesus, I am your best follower. There is absolutely no way that I will stop following you. I'm going with you all the way to the end, says Peter. He's quite proud of that. And Jesus says to him, lots of us know the story, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then Peter denies that that will happen. So without reading the rest of it, the story goes on. Peter finds himself in a situation where he would be faced with certainly violence, possibly death, if he admitted who he was. And people say, oh, you're with Jesus, aren't you? And he goes, nope. And he does it time and time again until he hears that cockle, that rooster crow. And he thinks, oh, my word, what did Jesus say? What did I say? And he recognizes not only his pride, but the way that he's fallen. Peter gets pride. And yet, in this passage, we do not find that Peter. Something has happened to him. You might not have noticed it, but at the start he says, I exhort the elders among you, and he describes himself as a fellow elder and a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. He says to these, these, uh, these pastors of these churches that he's writing to that he is a fellow elder, a fellow witness, and a fellow partaker. He's kind of coming alongside. He's saying, I am like you, and we're going to face this together, and I can show you how we can do it, and we're going to go forward together, and we can do it. Which is kind of funny when you think a little bit about who Peter is. Peter's the guy who, who led the first church that there ever was in Jerusalem. Peter's the guy who more than likely started the church in Rome that became so significant in the early period of Christianity. Peter's the one who, not long after this, would die for his faith and was willing to keep going. Peter's the one who Paul said he was the apostle to the circumcised. He had this weighty title. Peter's the one who was one of Jesus' 12 original followers and often seemed to be the biggest voice among them, perhaps the leader. Peter's one who's actually one of Jesus' three first followers, his closest friends. He's one of Jesus' three closest friends that he has ever had. And he could say all of that. He could say, I am an apostle of Christ, humble yourselves, and actually be within his rights to do so. He would be telling the truth. And instead he says, he kind of comes alongside them and he describes himself in language that is exactly like who they are. And he puts himself on, he says, oh, we're, we're, we're fellow witnesses. But Jesus, Peter was literally there. And he's like, oh, we're witnesses together. I'm going to be a partaker in glory with you. I'm an elder like you are. He's saying that we are the same. He's deliberately humbling himself in his language. Do you get the point? Um, Something has happened to him. I mean, I imagine that every single morning when he wakes up, when he wakes up, Peter hears a cockerel. Because it's that kind of culture. He hears a cockerel. And I imagine ruefully shook his head and thought of the mercy of his friend and his Lord, who had restored him and brought him back. See, Peter knows who he is. He knows who he is. And to these elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God, or you could translate it, shepherd the sheep of God. The exact same words that Jesus said to him when he restored him. They had breakfast on a beach together, they ate some fish, and Jesus said, shepherd the sheep of God.
which is a funny phrase to use because we can, it's, it's a churchy kind of a phrase and it's the kind of language the Bible uses and we can get the analogy of like a shepherd as being a, a kind of a good leader. They, you know, they look after the sheep, they check they're all okay, they set direction, etc., etc. But think of it this way. Are you proud? You're a sheep. That's what it says. <laughs> We're sheep. I don't know if you spend much time around sheep. I have a little bit when I was growing up. Um, sheep are really stupid. Really, really stupid. Uh, I went to a primary school that had a flock of sheep, which is an unusual thing to start with. So you, you know how lots of um, small uh, schools, particularly for little kids, would have something like a board monitor whose job it might be to wipe the board down at, at the start of break time or something like that. Uh, my school also had sheep monitors. Uh, I'm not making this up. Um, you'd think I was. It wasn't even that rural, but there you go. Who, whose job it would be to kind of make sure the sheep got fed and that sort of thing. Um, my endure, I didn't get to be one, but my enduring memory of having a flock of sheep at my primary school was the sheer number of playtimes when you could not go out and play because the sheep had got out the pen again. And they're just wandering around the school, or not the building, but the grounds, uh, and just they don't know where to go. I don't have a clue what they're supposed to be. They're just wandering about aimlessly because they're a bit stupid, um, which is great. And then I think, hang on, but I'm a sheep. Uh, you see, I, I'm a fairly proud man. And I say that in honesty. I'm not proud of that, but, but I am. I, I dislike being told what to do, but, I, but I'm a sheep. So all those descriptions I gave you earlier of, oh, maybe pride looks like this, and not me thinking, oh, what might it look like? They're me telling you what my heart looks like sometimes. But yeah, I'm a sheep, a little bit stupid, who needs quite a lot of help to go in the right direction, who needs to be shown where to go and given something to follow, and then, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go there. I'm a sheep. And I therefore need to fight, as a proud man, need to fight every day to put on humility. Put my watch on, pick my keys up, put on humility. Remember who I am. You see, I, I can't think of myself as better than others, however hard I might try, when I think about who I am. Because without Jesus, I'd be a wretched sinner, spending my life getting myself into worse and worse mess taking myself away from God, making things worse for myself, causing a mess. And if that's true about me, how could I possibly think better of myself than anyone else? Because I'm clearly not. Whatever their struggles or challenges might be, I am clearly not. And, on the other side of that, I cannot think less of myself than I am. Because I find that Jesus has rescued me, and he has made it, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, so that the Father has adopted me as his son. And I find myself to be a son of the living God with every right and responsibility that comes with that. I find myself an emperor in training, waiting to rule the cosmos alongside my Father. I find myself where my Father, who loves me, not only wants to do good things for me, but can literally do anything in the universe if he wants to, but yet has my best at heart, so often doesn't give me what I want, because he's trying to help me. I find myself, with God himself living inside of me by his spirit, empowering me, giving me gifts. 
and I find that all of those magnificent things that are true about me, not one single one did I make happen. All of them were done to me. All of them were gifts. All of them were things that Jesus chose to come and give me. So therefore, I can't think of myself as better than anyone else, and I can't think of myself as worse. I just simply am gifted and led by Jesus. I'm a sheep, pretty stupid, go the wrong way a lot of the time, need to be shown where to go. And I have to remind myself of both of those sets of facts all the time and put them on and choose to believe that they're true and live like they are. You know, it's, humility is not, it's not just being nice. We can think about it like it is sometimes, but it's not. It's not that kind of, oh, after you. That's not me being humble. It might be me being polite, but it's not me being humble. And if we had an elders meeting or something like that, and all we did was go after you, after you, after you, we'd spend two hours trying to get through the door, and we wouldn't get anything done. Um, it's that, that sort of Christian insistence of not eating the last biscuit on the plate That is not humility. It might be polite, but it's not humility. Humility is, is, I guess, repentance. It's saying, actually, I choose to follow Jesus. I see what I'm like, and that was wrong. It's a kind of self-distrust. I don't really trust myself, but I choose to trust God. And um, Peter says... Uh, well, we verse five said God. He's quoting from Proverbs three. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's quite strong language, actually. The proud are opposed to God. God is opposed to the proud. I'm a proud man, a lot of the time. That's not a good thing. I need to repent. Perhaps you do too. I need to choose to put on humility. Like I wouldn't leave the house without my trousers. Don't leave the house without humility. But I'll find when I do, it says he gives grace to the humble. So that when I try, excuse me, when I try to choose to put others first, to not think about the importance of me being heard, to not think about the fact that, oh, that I might think I know better than others, to instead choose to live for others and put others before myself, I find that God gives me unmerited favour which is what grace is. Undeserved gifts. And Jesus is the one who chose to humble himself so that I can receive them. So actually when I say I'm going to try and be humble, what I'm doing is I'm following Jesus, my shepherd. Just how sheep know where to go. The shepherd gets a few sheep moving and then the rest start to follow. So what does this look like? So there are just... Picking over those, um, those verses, mostly directed at elders, and we're very briefly going to just pull out a few things that this looks like practically. So firstly, he says, uh, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, so that literally just means the other people. Uh, I might not think it in the words, but it's, it's not the Greek word for younger, so it means kind of the other people. Um, be subject to the elders. So the first thing, what does humility look like? Being subject to others. Yeah, sure, maybe to those who are leading your church, but, but actually to others, choosing to put others, to kind of willingly defer to others. Not being a slave, not being a robot, but choosing to put others before you. Choosing to allow others to, to lead you, I suppose, to defer to others. Choosing to put on humility. Not, oh, but I think we should, but instead think, okay, well, we'll go that way. A bit like Jesus, who chose to subject himself to his father, and follow his will, 
but also to the authorities of his day, who did not have to allow himself to be killed, but he did. Secondly, uh, verse 2, so we need to choose to serve God. It says, um, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So we need to choose to serve God without begrudging, and not because, oh, someone has to. I hear that a lot, mostly out of my own mouth. But, oh, someone has to do it. I'll do it, someone has to. What nonsense, it's not service. We choose to serve God willingly. So, for example, think of it, let's take some of the more unseen things that people might do. Say you're on the setup team, say you're putting out chairs. It might very much look like, well, someone has to, because we don't all want to sit on the floor, so I'll step up and do it, because someone has to. Well, sure. But actually, what you're doing is you are creating an opportunity for someone who does not know Jesus to come in and meet him in his word and his spirit. You are creating an opportunity for someone who is following Jesus to grow into him and to become more like him because you've given them somewhere to sit. And actually, if we think about that, all of a sudden, it's different, isn't it? That's humility, actually, to say that I'm going to do this because, wow, look what service it does to the kingdom. Even on the face of it, it might not look like it. Think about a more unseen, I suppose, ministry service than that. Children's work, because it's literally unseen, because it's behind a wall. Um, So most of us don't see it. Even if you've got children, you see it for a few minutes at that, unless you serve there. You might say, you know, you might do children's work because someone has to. And if we don't want them in here making it hard for us to meet God and for them to not really be able to meet God either because this is not a great environment for them, then yes, someone does have to. But what are children's workers doing? They're not just wiping up poo, though I believe that is sometimes required at the younger end. They are, I'm not telling this, am I? I'll try harder. Um, they, They are helping the parents of those children to lead those children into dynamic relationships with Jesus that will change not just their life, but their eternity and the eternity of many others who encounter them over the next 80-odd years that they have on this planet. They are forming young hearts to love Jesus more by creating contexts where they can do that together. It isn't just something someone has to do. It's, It's ministry. It is... It is of great eternal importance to the kingdom. And you get to do public stuff like I do. It might be easy to see how it's helping the kingdom. But actually, most of the time, the ways that all of us serve are unseen. So we don't do it because we have to. We do it because it is great for God. That's humility. Like Jesus chose to serve God by dying. We, uh, verse 3, um, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So we are eager to give, not desiring to get. So think of it this way. Consider your time, your money, and your blood at God's disposal. That's what it means to be humble. Your time, your money, and the blood in your veins is God's to do with as he wants. Because all of them are gifts from him anyway. That's humility. Not doing it for an earthly reward, but for, as it says in verse 4, talking to the elders, an unfading crown of glory. Or in verse 6, it says that God will exalt everyone who, uh, who has humbled themselves. Um, doing it knowing that we will get reward at some point. That phrase, unfading crown of glory, literally says uh, a garland of amaranth flowers, which are flowers where the, the color doesn't fade. So it's not like a crown like we might think of, of a king or a queen. It's not authority. 
It's honor, because that's the kind of thing you'd give to uh, someone who's won a race at a games in the ancient world, or maybe to a soldier who's done particularly good at war. So it's not a crown so much as it's a gold medal um, or a victorious cross. It's, it's honor. God is looking to exalt us, much like Jesus, who served, not for any gain, but yet found that his name has been exalted above every name in all of the heavens. And uh, finally, verse 3, it says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So to be humble, particularly thinking about those who who shepherd, I suppose, but to be humble is to be a role model. It is to follow in the footsteps of Christ as sheep follow their shepherd. The way you move a flock of sheep, mostly, is you get some of the sheep to move, and then the rest of them follow. And there will be some stragglers that need to be sorted out and kind of brought in and helped to follow But most sheep follow other sheep. All it means to be a father in the household of God is to be a sheep that Jesus has has got hold of and said, come this way. And to say to others, why don't we follow Jesus together? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the dynamic of, I suppose, of the church and of the kingdom. So... Imitate us. The primary role of leadership in the church is is to live a life worth imitating. Imitate us. For all, I stand here and say, actually, I'm not a very good example of humility. I I struggle with this. I am a proud man who has to fight to choose to put others before myself in my mind. I can, with all conscience, say, I'm doing my best to do that. So imitate me as I follow Jesus. And find that we'll all follow him together. Much like Jesus, lived a life worthy of imitating. That's what we're called to do. Rick, have you got you over there? You're not there. It's confusing. Um, Jesus is the humble one. He's the one who subjected himself to others. He's the one who chose to serve God. He's the one who was eager to give, not desiring to get, and yet won himself great honor. He's the one who lived a life worthy of imitating. He is the humble one. We are sheep who follow our great shepherd. That is what it means to be humble. (laughs) To say, actually, I'm just following Jesus. I'm doing the best I can. And I recognize that that's not that great. (laughs) But I ask him to help me do better. What we're going to do now, we are in a moment going to worship the one who has chosen to come and give everything for us. And then after we've sung, we'll create some space. So there was that wonderful moment at the end of worship with all those prophetic words where God is starting to speak through us to one another. We're going to create some space to pray for people who those particularly speak to. If you feel you have other things from God that you want to share, please come talk to Ben. Um, But should we stand together? Let's worship the humble king who came to get us.